0: Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Knoll, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Knoll. I often get the question as I'm talking to people about their retirement planning and their portfolio people want to know how soon before retirement should they begin making adjustments to their portfolio? You know, we know that when we're younger, we can afford to invest a little bit more aggressively. And and then the approach is as you get closer to retirement, you gradually start to make your portfolio more conservative as you get closer and closer to living on that money, as opposed to saving to your portfolio. So the question for today, the topic of today's episode is how soon before retiring should you begin to adjust your portfolio? So we're going to look at this from two standpoints. Number one, we're going to just look at it from a statistical standpoint look at real numbers and see what, when does it make sense based upon the numbers or what the statistics might show to begin adjusting your portfolio. But then looking at a practical example, because statistics are great. History is great. The numbers are great. But how does that actually get applied to a real life situation? And so we'll walk through some of this. So let's start with the statistics part, and what the numbers tell us. And then we'll look at an example to see how do we actually apply that. So let's start with the fundamentals. Number one, you, you invest in stocks because you're investing in real companies with real earnings. And if you invest in a large number of these companies, then history has shown us that you can build a lot of wealth over time. So if you're younger, if you're saving your portfolio, the goal is to grow that money, grow your wealth as much as possible. And you do so by owning stocks. Now, the downside to this is stocks don't always go up. Over time, they certainly do, but they don't go up every single day. And to state the obvious, if all they did was go up, well, then there wouldn't be much of a reason to own anything else like bonds or cash. Stocks are going to perform better than bonds will perform over time. Stocks are going to perform better than more conservative investments will over time. So if stocks only went up, then of course, it'd be a no-brainer. We would just own stocks, but they don't only go up. So let's look at a a frequency. Let's look at the numbers to see how frequently do stocks go up, because that's going to give us some perspective as to how should we think about our portfolio and how much should be in things like stocks or owning companies, and how much should maybe be in things that are more conservative and don't go up and down quite as much so this is looking at numbers over the past 90 plus years or so and it's looking at the s p 500 and the s p 500 it's just an index that measures the performance of 500 of the biggest companies here in the us so your typical blue chip stocks and what we've seen is over the past almost century on a daily basis 53 percent of the time the s p 500 increases in value Meaning that if you take the average performance, the big blue chip companies here in the U.S., 53% of the time on a daily basis, the average of those companies' performance will be positive. What does that also mean? It means 47% of the time, it's going to be negative. If we extend this from daily and now look at monthly instead, well, on a monthly basis, 63% of the time, those returns are positive, which means that 37% of the time, those returns are negative. If you extend this to annually, so you want to know, okay, well, how frequently is the S&P 500 up? If you look at an annual basis, it's about 73% of the time and 27% of the time it's negative. So essentially three out of four years on average, the S&P 500 is going to increase in value and one out of four years, it's going to decline in value. Extend that to five years. Well, over a five-year time period, 88% of the time, the S&P 500 has been positive and 12% of the time it's been negative. It's gone down in value. Then you extend that to 10 years and 20 years. And at 10 years, 94% of the time, the S&P 500 has been positive and only 6% of the time it's been negative. And finally, if you extend that to 20 years, there's never been a 20 year rolling time period where the S&P 500 has not made money over that time period. So the reason I bring this up is if you go back to daily, it's about a coin flip. 53% of the time, the stock market is up as defined by the S&P 500. Uh, the other half of the times almost the stock market is down. Whereas if you extend this all the way to 20 years, there's literally never been a 20 year time period over the past 100 years or so that the stock S&P 500 has lost money. So why does that matter? Well, it matters because as we just talked about, if you're younger and you have a lot of time until retirement, it really makes sense in most cases to invest a lot more in stocks. You have time on your side. You can let these numbers work out to your favor. But as you get closer to retirement, if you're a year out or five years out or 10 years out, the numbers start to subtly shift for you. And one of the main things that you want to make sure you're doing in retirement is you want to make sure that you're not selling your investments when they're down. If you need to live on your portfolio, well, it means you need to sell something, but ideally you're not selling the thing that's dropped in value. So how do you do that? Well, number one is you diversify. So we just looked at the frequency of returns for the S&P 500, and we saw that daily, monthly, annually, 10 years over 20-year rolling time periods, the longer you have to invest, the more and more likely you are to have a positive outcome. Well, if you don't just look at the S&P 500, but you also mix in international companies and small companies and emerging markets and real estate, that frequency of positive returns actually increases for you. That makes sense. You've got more things and, and, and those different things in your portfolio, it increases the chances of you having a positive return. Well, to take it a step further, when you're in retirement, you might implement things like bonds in your portfolio and really even before retirement. But if you're a a, a typical retiree portfolio, if you're looking at a typical retiree portfolio, it's probably not going to be all stocks in most cases. So you might have bonds in there. Now, what bonds do is bonds are more stable. Bonds don't fluctuate quite as much as stocks. The trade-off is they don't, they certainly don't grow as much as stocks. But if you introduce bonds into your portfolio, now those frequency of positive returns and it gets enhanced even more you're going to have more and more cases of positive returns and fewer and fewer cases of negative returns so here's the takeaway for me and what i typically recommend for clients going back to the 10 years of returns if you have a diversified portfolio that's not just the S&P 500 but also has international investments small small company investments etc there's less data on this this doesn't go back as far but almost 100% of the time you're going to have a positive outcome over any 10 year rolling time period. So because of that, if you're invested and you're looking out towards retirement and you have 10 plus years to go, you could certainly make a case for being all stocks and not having any bonds. Now, one huge disclaimer on this is this is going to be very different for everyone. I don't know you. I don't know your situation. I don't know your comfort level with investing in the ups and downs of the stock market. So please don't take this as specific advice. This is purely looking at the financial side of it this is looking at the numbers. It's taking out everything from human emotion to your personal comfort level to just your personal situation. This is just saying that based on statistics and numbers, if you're 10 years out from retirement or more, you could make a case potentially for having all your portfolio in stocks. Now, as you start getting closer to retirement than that 10 years, you don't have those positive returns as consistently. As you back down to five years from retirement, a year out from retirement, a month out from retirement, those frequencies of positive returns begin to diminish. So it's at that point that maybe 10 years out as a starting point, that's when it might make sense to introduce things like bonds into your portfolio. Bonds and stocks typically don't go up and down together. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes when stocks drop in value, bonds go up. So it's a nice compliment to have as you get closer to retirement, because if you retire and say you retire in a year like 2008 or in a year like 2000 or in a year right before the stock market drops significantly, Well, usually in those years, the bond portion of your portfolio, has actually gone up in value. So you can be confident in your retirement still knowing that, yes, the stock portion is down, but you don't just own stocks. You also own bonds and other conservative investments. They've actually gone up in value or at least stayed stable. What that does for you is it gives you a place where you can take income. So you can take the income you need, spend it on the things that you need to spend it on and give time for your stock investments to recover. So that's purely looking at it from the stocks or the statistical standpoint. Again, this is not going to apply to everyone in the exact same way because everyone's situation is different. Everyone's comfort level with the volatility of the stock market is different. But just looking at the numbers, I like to start there. And then I like to look at the real world and how do those numbers actually apply to a real world situation. So let's look at an example. Let's assume that you are 55 years old today and you want to retire at 65. And let's assume that when you retire at 65, you'll have a pension, you'll have social security, maybe your spouse will still be working part-time for the next several years after retirement. Well, in this example, you're 10 years out from retirement, which means from a statistical standpoint, like we just talked about, you may want to start thinking about shifting from stocks to bonds, at least with a portion of your portfolio. But the reality is you might be 15 years or more away from actually needing funds from your portfolio. So again, you will stop working in 10 years, but if you have pension, social security, and your spouse's part-time work—and this is this is just an example, of course—you may not actually need to access your portfolio until your spouse is done working or until your income drops. So, really, what you're looking in, in reality isn't when you're when are you going to retire. It's when do you think that you're going to need funds from your portfolio? Hypothetically, if all of your income needs are covered and you have your investment portfolio, but you don't need it, and your your thought is okay, this is for the next generation. This is to pass on to you future heirs, or this is in case there's major medical expenses or major emergencies later on in retirement, you could make the case for staying more in stocks for a longer period of time. Because again, it's not, it has less to do with when are you retiring? It has everything to do with when do you think you might need funds from your portfolio? Because at the end of the day, there's really just a couple main reasons that you would even invest in more conservative investments. So something like bonds. Number one is the financial reason. So the, the obvious is bonds help to protect against downturns. So we looked at the frequency returns. We saw how that happens, and bonds can protect against that. If you have the stock portion of your portfolio going down, well, in many cases the bond portion might be going up, or will at least hopefully be going down less than the stock portion. So you want to have a stable amount in conservative investments so that you have the option of where do you take income from when you're in retirement. Whether the stock market is down or up, you also have bond investments, things that don't act exactly the same. So that's the financial reason. The second reason is it's more the emotional reason. And this has more to do with your personal risk tolerance, meaning what is your comfort level with the ups and downs in the stock market? Even if you don't need bonds from a financial reason, you may want to have them just to give you the peace of mind and the ability to sleep at night. The stock market, as we've mentioned, it can help to build tremendous amounts of wealth over time, but it comes at a cost. And that cost is, is those ups and downs, and it's the uncertainty. And if that's causing you a huge amount of stress, if that's causing you to lose sleep, well, we're missing the point of our financial planning. The point of financial planning should be to generate that peace of mind. And if you can't have peace of mind with an all stock portfolio or a mostly stock portfolio, that could also be a reason to introduce bonds or more conservative investments into your investment account. So even if there's not a great financial reason to own bonds, there could be a good emotional reason. If that's going to help you stick with your portfolio and allow you to continue to remain invested, then the bonds are doing their job. So again, with bonds, there's two main reasons to own them. Number one, the financial reason, and then number two, the emotional reason. So let's see how this plays out. Let's go back to an example. Assume that you retire and and you find that you're going to need $40,000 from your portfolio each year to supplement your income needs. Well, let's also assume that you want to make sure that you have 10 years worth of cash and or bonds in your portfolio in case the stock market drops. We've already seen it could potentially take up to 10 years if the stock market has a significant downturn to fully recover where it left off. So let's say that you want to have 10 years worth of bonds to potentially protect against this. And let's also assume that you have a million dollars in your investment portfolio. So if you need $40,000 per year and you want to make sure that you have 10 years worth of portfolio living expense needs. In stable conservative investments, well, 40,000 times 10, that's $400,000. So what that would dictate from a financial perspective is you need to have 40% of your million dollar portfolio in bonds or in stable investments, which means the other 60% or 600,000 could be invested in something like stocks to allow your portfolio to continue growing, to keep up with inflation over time. So in this case, you might need to have a portfolio that's 60% stocks, 40% bonds, but let's assume we have the same exact situation, but instead of having a million dollars in your portfolio, you have $4 million in your portfolio. Well, if you still need that same 40000 per year for 10 years in bonds, well, that's still $400,000. And if we divide $400,000 by $4 million, we get 10% of your portfolio that from a financial perspective needs to be in bonds to protect against a potential downturn. So what we see here is now all of a sudden this portfolio could look like 90% stocks, 10% bonds. Again, this is totally leaving out any emotional reason to have bonds, any peace of mind reason to own bonds. It's purely looking at the financial reason and almost from a financial engineering standpoint. But if that's the perspective that's most comfortable for you, then you could still generate the same amount of income as someone with a million dollars in their portfolio. But your portfolio could have a lot more in stocks if you wanted to allow it to continue growing more over time. So why does this matter? Why am I even going through this example? Well, I'm going through this example because as we're looking at how soon before retirement should you start making tweaks and adjustments to your portfolio to almost prepare it as if you're landing a plane to gradually transition it from where you are when you're more focused on growth to where you need to be when you're in retirement, you need to start with understanding what does your end goal portfolio even need to look like? You can see here, we just saw an example where two portfolios that generate the same exact amount of income well, they could look very different in retirement in terms of how much is in stocks and how much is in bonds. So to answer the question directly of how soon out before retirement should you adjust your portfolio, I typically recommend somewhere about 10 years out. Now, other financial planners think differently. Other financial planners have different approaches, but that's generally the way that I like to look at this. But what people often miss is they start thinking about how soon should they start adjusting the portfolio and what should those adjustments be. And they don't often look at the end goal in terms of understanding how much will you need from your portfolio when you're retired what will your other income sources be? How much should you have in stocks and bonds to account for all that? And then that gives you an end goal. That gives you the the type of portfolio that you're ultimately going to be aiming towards as you start to transition maybe 10 years out or however many years out you're most comfortable with. So just to make it clear one more time, a lot of what I'm looking at here is the financial side of things. How do we engineer your portfolio so that it can generate the income amount that you need when you retire? And that's going to be pretty standard for everyone. Stocks and bonds are going to do the same thing. And so understanding not necessarily the specific amounts, but the framework you should apply to this as you think about your personal situation, it's a pretty standard framework. How much will you need from your portfolio? How far out from retirement are you? How should you be invested today? And how should you gradually change that over time? What will be totally different for everyone is that emotional side, the risk-tolerance side. What's your comfort level with investing? What's your comfort level with the ups and downs? And how does that comfort level change when you're in retirement? You might have one comfort level or risk tolerance today if you're still working because you're not dependent upon that portfolio. But in retirement, as you realize that you are totally dependent upon that, there's no more salary coming in. Maybe there's social security or pension, but that portfolio, that represents your peace of mind. That represents your ability to meet your living expense needs you may have a different risk tolerance or comfort level at that point. So that is something something that's very subjective and that's something that's going to be very different and unique to each person. So make sure that as we're talking through this, you know yourself and that you can apply that framework to what we're talking about in a way that's unique to you and not necessarily based upon what everyone else does. I hope that was helpful. That's all I have on today's episode. If you have a question or if you have something that you would like me to discuss on a future episode, you can submit that at the Ready for Retirement webpage at readyforretirement.co. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to episode number 28 of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And for a list of the resources and notes and everything mentioned in today's episode, you can find that at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. If you have a question that you'd like for me to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Ready for Retirement website. Again, that's readyforretirement.co. And there's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit your question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. It's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner, Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.